0: You're listening to Grounded, a podcast by the Oregon Department of Energy.
1: Hello, listeners. My name is Erica Hirsch, and I am your new Grounded podcast host. I am taking over the role that was filled by Jenny Kalis. I am happy to report that Jenny Kalis is still here on board with Odo. She just gets to enjoy new adventures as our communications director. I myself have been with Odo since February 2020, and I now get to bring these amazing Oregon energy stories to you. So sit back, have some fun, and let's listen to my very first interview. In this episode, we catch up with Corey Ann Wynn. Cory Ann is the program manager for the Clean Fuels Program with the Oregon DEQ. During our conversation, we learn more about how the program originated how it's actually implemented and then some really exciting work they're doing around equity in the transportation sector. Let's have a listen. Welcome Corianne. I am so excited that you're here with us today on Grounded and that we get to learn about DEQ's Clean Fuels Program. Can you please tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay, sure, Erica. So my name is Corianne Wind. Um, I am the program
0: manager for the Oregon Clean Fuels Program. I've been doing that for approximately 10 years now, since the uh, when the program was first created. Um, I've been with DEQ for 27 years now. Um, so prior to the Clean Fuels program, I worked primarily, it's always been in air quality, but in uh, different parts of the program, permitting and compliance and um, you know other kinds of policies, but the most recent 10 years in the Clean Fuels program. Great, thank
1: you. So let's just jump right in. Can you lay out what exactly is the program? And why was it created? Maybe some of those original objectives?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. So it was the 2009 legislation uh, legislature that adopted uh, a low carbon fuel standard. Um, and directed the D- Department of environmental quality to implement this program. So, the initial goals of the program was to reduce the greenhouse gases from Oregon's transportation fuels by 10% over a 10 year period. Um, We didn't begin implementing the program um, until 2016. So what the program is designed to do now is to reduce um, the carbon emissions from 10% between 2016
1: and 2025. So, when you say carbon emissions, is that the same as carbon intensity? Mm-hmm. Right. So, carbon intensity
0: is a term that is used in a, a low carbon fuel standard, and what that points to is actually so carbon intensity measures life cycle greenhouse gas emissions. Um, so, it's not just tailpipe emissions, and it's per it's per a unit of energy. And so, if you can imagine that different types of transportation fuels have different types of energy values, Um, you know, if you're talking about gasoline or diesel or electricity, they all have different values. And so that's where carbon intensity comes into play. Um, And the difference between that and actual. um, GHD emissions um, then is more of a. Um, it's it's more of, of a factor of how much
1: of that fuel um, you consume so that's what the correlation is perfect that is very helpful I know I need a little bit of help wrapping my head around that and some of our listeners might too
0: mm-hmm. yeah I mean if you know just just a little bit more on life cycle greenhouse gas emissions um, you know so we are we what well, we account for carbon emissions all the way from how you uh, you know, like how, what, what feedstock it is. Uh, I guess feedstock in the, of, you know, petroleum sense is the crude that goes into a refinery and then all the way through combustion of your vehicle. Um, but if we're talking about something like a biofuel, is how is, um, you know, the soybean oil actually grown and harvested for electricity. It's how is that electricity made. So what is the source of that electricity? So it's a very comprehensive way
1: of accounting for um, greenhouse gas emissions. Great. Thank you. I'd like to talk a little bit about where our transportation fuels originate from. For us folks at Odo, it is Burr season. We have been very much focused and dedicated to our biannual energy report, which is wrapping up this month in October. We're all very excited and we will be discussing the places that our transportation fuel originates from in particular, petroleum-based fuels. We know that these fuels come from from other states and countries and are then mainly fed into Washington state refineries before coming to Oregon. But what I I think I'm more curious about is, do each of these fuels have different carbon intensities associated with them? And if so, how does your program account for that?
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Yes, that's absolutely right. So, you know, it is important for us to account for all of those um greenhouse gas emissions so in as much as we can keep track of the different types of crudes that go into those Washington refineries you know um heavier crudes take more energy to process lighter crudes are you know less um so but the thing is that especially because of most of Oregon's fuels do come from these um Um, do come from these uh, Washington refineries, and then it gets to us in a common pipeline. So the thing is that all of these fuels get combined. And so for the purposes of implementing the program, we actually create a a statewide average so that all of the different refineries that feed into all the different terminals in Oregon actually can use a single value for gasoline and a single value for diesel. Um, So it makes implementation easier. Um, But I know that people want to make sure that those um, calculations are actually accurate on a a continuous basis. So, um, the regulation actually requires to reevaluate those at least once every 3 years. Um, And then we have the option to actually do it more frequently if we do see a significant shift in the crude sources to those refineries so we can
1: adapt. So, let's talk a little bit now about the Pacific coast collaborative. And if this program has any similarities to California's low carbon fuel standard, can you share what some of those might be? And if there's some advantages to having a program like California's or um, even some disadvantages.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a great question. Um, when um, back at the beginning of uh, of the program, um, it was actually through the Pacific Coast collaborative that was signed by the governors of the states of California, Oregon, Washington, and the premier of British Columbia um, to purposefully act together as a region to address um, climate change Um, and the low carbon fuel standard was 1 of the key um, efforts of of that collaboration. And so, as we began starting on designing the program, we, it was intended to um, not duplicate, but harmonize in its major um, um, design features. Um, I think it's really important because transportation fuel is a global market and it a very regional market for the West Coast um, that the jurisdictions align and have the same set of rules for all of its participants to um, be able to operate with. And so, it. And and I think on a practical level where it's really helped Oregon is that we don't have to recreate the wheel in every single instance. We partner, we collaborate with California very closely on a number of things, like reporting and like actually, you know, getting um, um, biofuels producers, you know, entered into the program. We collaborate on that, so we don't have to do it twice. We just do it once, and then you know, so that really creates some efficiencies um, um, for the state of Oregon. Um, you know, we have very limited resources to implement this, and this is one of those ways that
1: can actually help us quite a bit. That's super smart. I always love hearing collaboration successes, especially with our neighboring states here on, on the West Coast. Very cool. Thank you. So, let's let's get into it. Let's get even deeper into it. How does this program work? When we get into the daily operations of of Oregon and our fuels, how do we implement this program? Yeah. So,
0: like how how does the program work, right? So, so the program um is very complex, but Basically, you think um, I, I describe it as a system of credits and deficits, um, like many other kind of market based policies um, that are around the government these days. Um, in the case of a low carbon fuel standard, or the clean fuels program credits are generated by the providers of the fuels that are less carbon intense than what that annual standard is um, and deficits on the other side are generated by providers of fuels of more carbon intense fuels than the standard. The standard actually changes on an annual basis. So as we get farther into the program, the the standard actually gets more and more stringent. Um, So for example, in the first year of our program in 2016, uh, we only required a a quarter percent reduction from the 2015 level. And then it proceeds to a half percent, then a 1%, then a 1%. One and a half percent. So now we're in the fifth year of implementing program. We're requiring two and a half percent reductions. So as you get farther along in a program, the same fuel, say, say the same high carbon fuel generates more deficits. And then the same low carbon fuels generate less credits. Um, And so the mechanics of it is that the regulated parties in this program, who are the importers of fuels into the state they are required to retire credits that are equal to the amount of the deficits that generate on an annual basis. So, you know, if you think about it as your bank ledger, right, for whatever check that you write, you must have at least income coming into your account to offset that. At the end of the
1: year, you must be equal. Got it. Thank you. That was really helpful so just just this march march 2020 governor kate brown issued executive order 2004 and among a lot of things it expanded the clean fuels program can you talk to us about what some of those expansions are sure yes
0: Uh, governor brown's executive order um, is very uh, is critical to the success of um carbon reductions in the state of oregon Um, the the executive order points specifically to the clean fuels program to expand the requirements for the carbon intensity reductions. So beyond 10%, so it's to achieve 25% reductions in average carbon intensity out to 2035. So these are very aggressive goals to achieve. They are the most stringent of any jurisdiction that has a clean fuels program. Um, And what that brings us is that that will guarantee that cleaner, cleaner fuels will continue to flow into the state of Oregon um, for the duration of the program, um, that, along with the extension of the program in time, at least through 2035, um, what that really creates is the kind of regulatory certainty that the transportation fuels market likes, um, and so that you know it ensures that that constant flow of these fuels and the decarbonizing of the transportation um, sector emissions, and that will continue to benefit Oregonians into the future.
1: Yes, absolutely. So so that reminds me, when the legislator first authorized the adoption of a low carbon fuels program in 2009, there were some legislators that had concerns that the program might lead to large increases in transportation fuel prices. Now that we've been up and running since 2016, are you able to see any impacts to fuel prices now that we, we've had some time to wait and see?
0: Yeah, actually, uh, the legislators required the program to keep track of what that impact is. Um, To date, the impact of the price of fuels has been pretty minimal um, since Mm -hmm. the start of the program. Um, So, in the latest uh, data that we have for the calendar year 2019, um, that cost was estimated to be about two and a half cents per gallon of gasoline and just under three cents per gallon of diesel. I just want to note too that the way that we calculate that is a kind of a worst case estimate. Um, and so anecdotally, anecdotally though, um, I have heard um, from fleets, especially um, that are using um, diesel and, you know, higher blends of biodiesel um, that the costs that to them have actually decreased since the beginning of the program. Um, primarily due to the fact that it's the biodiesel that's being blended into the diesel um, is very low carbon and has and when you sell those credits, the revenue from those credits offset the cost of the diesel portion. And so you do end up in these situations where the higher blends of the of the um, cleaner fuels actually causes that overall price to decrease.
1: Very cool. Not sure if that was expected, but that is a very cool result. No. Yep. And it's nope. really,
0: helped. <laughs> it's really helped us message the benefits to a sector that honestly, you know, was very like, you can't electrify diesel. Right. But there's, right. I think, been a lot of advances in the liquid biofuels and in, in biodiesel, renewable diesel um, that I mean, you, you just can't ignore, right? When you go and fill up or when you go to the truck stop or when you go, if you're big enough, if you have your own fleet,
1: right? Um, it, it's cheaper. Yeah, I love that story. That is just too cool. Well, let's keep going in this direction. Uh, a- any other uh, fund developments, successes, large or small? Please share those with us. Um.
0: Yeah, sure. I mean, I think the primary... Uh, Kind of like a uh, measure that everybody wants to know about for the program um, is just overall greenhouse gases, um, you know, emissions reduced have been um, as a result of the program. Um, as of the end, uh, we get quarterly data. So the most recent data we have is for the end of March of 2020. Um, and so far since the beginning of the program, we've Uh, reduced over 4.3 million metric tons of greenhouse gases. And so that is a very significant um, number. Um, yeah, it's, it's huge actually. Um, it's, it's really good to see that as the requirements have gotten more stringent that um, people have generated credits and have found ways to comply and over comply mean, honestly, it's, you know, everybody, um, You know, all the parties have generated um, No, let me back up. I would say that the market as a whole, right? That participants continue to generate more credits than deficits. And then you can bank those credits. So in the future, when it just gets does get harder to and harder to comply, you know, we have an extra bank. Um, And, and so it is definitely, you you can see that the participants um, know what the requirements are
1: and. You know can plan for the future and that's been really helpful let's change gears for a minute this is a really exciting time to where we get to have conversations around equity and equality on a daily basis and it's giving us the opportunity to look at our programs and our initiatives and see where we can be better So I'd love to hear your thoughts on how you see the clean fuels program addressing equity concerns in, in the transportation sector. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, no, that's a great question. I think everybody, um, because of the executive order has really, you know, have an enhanced kind of um, thinking about how, um, these investments and these policies and programs can really enhance, um, equity issues, um, you know. The primary way that I would say in general, the, the, the policy, um, you know, will benefit all Oregonians um, by having lower emissions, not only life cycle, greenhouse gas, you know, climate changing um, emissions, but also that all of these cleaner fuels will have um, cleaner, you know, less. Um, pollution of your typical tailpipe pollutants. So whether it's particulates or ozone forming or you know any kind of air toxics kind of things, diesel particulate matter, which is especially um, bad, all of those things will get reduced in the program. So broadly speaking, um, I think all Oregonians benefit. Um, but but if you want to put kind of like a fine uh, you know a, a finer point of pencil as far as you know um how can the Clean Fuels program kind of help especially projects that would not otherwise get funded, right? I mean, I think at the end of the day, um, when we talk about, you know, clean infrastructure, you know, like how do you get more electric chargers? How do you get more electric buses for public transit? Um, you know, those kinds of things. Um, it's 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 hard um, if you're relying on say, private entities, you know, to, be able to have a business case to stand up those kinds of programs um, because of you know various factors and it is, um, you know, we know that that is important to build out those kinds of projects. Um, so. I actually have a rulemaking that's open right now and we're focused on how we can use the electricity provisions in the program to actually forward those projects. Um, so, as an example, Um, Say something like a transit agency, and we know that public transit is very um, important in an equity lens, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, how can we incent? You know, um, a transit agency to do full conversion to um, electric buses. Very expensive proposition, right? And So normally how you would generate credits in a program is you tell me how much electricity you dispense. So it's kind of, you know, it's, you have to dispense the electricity, and then you report it to me, and then you generate the credits. And so that's traditionally how we do it. But we're considering a model where, but I know you're a transit agency, you know what routes you use, you know, for example, for the next five years, how much electricity you're gonna use, right? It's, you know, just you do a calculation, you estimate it. And how about the agency actually forward you, advance you five years worth of credits, right? Oh. And then you can monetize those credits and all of a sudden you have a pot of money that can offset that initial capital cost to make yeah. it easier for you to move forward. Um, those are the kinds of examples that we're trying to look at of how we can you know, use the policy to do projects like that. Um, you know, and, you know, so I, I point out transit buses, school buses, other public fleets, right? Um, you know, things and vehicles that you know, and see in your neighborhoods all the time. Um, You know, what about freight activity that is very concentrated say at, um, you know, um, you know, um, big kind of corridors, but there's housing that's right next to it, right? Um, What about the airport? What about railroads? What about, you know, all of these typical hotspots for pollution, but how can we put infrastructure in those places and actually incent uh, a sooner um, transformation to um, you know a zero emission technology
1: yeah sounds like you guys are providing some really creative and innovative options and with that how do we get involved you know us oregonians love to get involved how do we help how do we learn more and then a course for businesses or other entities how do they get started with the program
0: Uh, yeah you know first and foremost um the clean fields program has a brand new website um, <laughs> it, uh, it's it's a brand new website, I would say that it is a work in progress and, um, you know, check back often to kind of see uh, more things that we can put on it. It's it just, I think it, it'll present, you know, I, I would say that the focus right now is primarily for the people that are regulated entities, you know, so it's very kind of um, that audience, but we are working on. Uh, More of a public facing kinds of things. Um, The next thing that I'm kind of working on is a program progress, you know, to be able to show all of the kind of like the benefits of the program. Um, More case studies, more examples about specific projects that we're working on and to really demonstrate how the policy has really can benefit uh, Oregonians across the
1: state. Definitely. I'll make sure to put the web address in the show notes as well so people can check out that new website. Well, I believe that is all the time we have for today. It has been so much fun talking to you and learning about the program. We are big fans of the work and we are all excited to watch it grow and continue this conversation down the road.
0: Oh, absolutely. Erica, thank you for the opportunity for me to talk about the program as well. Um, you know, it's been a long road to implementing this and, you know, I think. Um, The market has matured. The program has matured. I mean, it's really at a place now where I think people understand how, you know, to make this a successful program Um, and honestly, working into the future as we, you know, um, achieve, you know, strive to achieve the 25% carbon intensity reduction goals out to 2035, right? It's going to take everybody on board to do that. So not just the agencies, but the utilities, the stakeholders. Um, the local governments, our sister agencies, um, and just so many different people um, to be able to make this happen. It's very exciting.
1: It really is. Thank you again. It's been a pleasure and we'll talk to you soon. Well, that's it for today, folks. I truly had a great time learning about the Clean Fuels program with Corianne. I hope you did as well. And don't forget to check out our show notes to get that web address. I know there's a lot of good information on there. Always reach out to me or Odo with any questions or suggestions. And I can't wait to see you next time. Bye-bye.